How do you pay, man? Huh? If you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. Well, all right. Yeah. ten grand to me. Yeah. You know, ever since I turned pro in 1989, when I signed the dotted line, it was strange. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Straight Cash Homie. That's right, the podcast where we take a look at the dollars and cents of the sports world. As always, my name is Neil Rule, local sports broadcaster here in the Detroit, Michigan area, and I'll introduce you to the brains of the operation. He is Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group and Pivotal Sports Management. Neil Rule, Cam Evans, that's how we roll the Straight Cash Homie podcast. Good to have you all with us again. March Madness, Cam. And, and yes, there's plenty of madness. And yes, everybody's paying attention to the brackets. But just under the surface, there's a whole lot of money up for grabs here. There is. There's a, there's a lot of dollars, and uh, there's maybe not a lot of sense behind it. But uh, the brackets that we all as spectators pay so much attention to, and it goes from the 5-year-old up to the 99-year-old, but nobody pays more attention to the brackets and the implications they have, especially on the financial side, than the universities and colleges that are, are blessed to be part of the field of 68. And Cam, really, when you break it down to, I, I, I think the common sports fan doesn't truly recognize or realize the impact that March Madness has. Because if you look at it from a football standpoint in the college football playoff, what goes on with that? That's split up with sponsors, and that's split up with advertisers, and they don't recognize 100% of said revenue. But with March Madness, with the college basketball team, there is no sponsorship. There's no networks to deal with other than we sell our product to you. You pay us for the product, which is March Madness. It's pure profit for the NCAA. And you don't hear about that because nobody's walking around saying, hey, here's how much money we're making off the NCAA tournament. Uh, the NCAA is never going to do that type of thing. They go through great pains from a marketing perspective, not to call it profit, but they call it revenue. And they don't call it payouts. They call it units. And, and we're going to get into all that, Cam. We're going to get into the units, just the, the big money that's up for grabs for everybody in here, mid-majors, power fives, all the like, the impact that – this NCAA March Madness has on the conferences themselves, the ACC, uh, raking it up right now. To, to give you a hip-hop reference, they are raking it up right now in terms of the money that's going on. And I, I want to pose a question, an interesting dilemma for the mid-majors versus Power Fives in the future of the NCAA tournament. But Cam, look, this all starts with what happened with the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, the first ever 16 to beat a one. And that's where it starts and you look at what this is this will do for UMBC from an institutional perspective and i'm not even talking about units like just from flat out winning a game and making more money for the conference i'm talking about what this will do for the school and we'll start right here cam their athletic director that the story is that he he just kind of tapped someone to handle the social media for the night Next thing you know, they got 110,000 followers on Twitter. They've created $21 million worth of visibility for UMBC. Big, big money, which is what we talk about here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. 
No, absolutely. And, and, and you look at it, and the UMBC website crashed on Friday night because people I, wanted to know, where is this? What does UMBC stand for? They knew nothing about this institution. Um, a lot of it you know, certainly could have been driven by kids who are looking, hey, where am I going to go to college someday? This is the greatest thing in the world. And it's getting that exposure and that exposure for these smaller, what used to be regional, or local schools to go on a national nationwide basis and what that does for the as you said the brand exposure for the university um, be able to go out there and increase when we can talk about this the not only the quantity but the quality of applicants mm-hmm. and what that means to an institution of higher education um, and it's not the first time I mean historically it all really you know pinpoints back to um, Doug Flutie's Famous Hail Mary pass down at the Orange Bowl that Brett Musburger called against, you know, then defending national championship, University of Miami Hurricanes football team. And, you know, over the course of the next two years, applications at uh, Boston College were up 32%. Georgetown, Patrick Ewing era, they're almost up 50% in the three years that after his freshman year that he was there and they had that that great run. Um, You look at Butler in 2010 when they made that run to the NCAA against Duke. Their application spiked. It just goes on and on. 20 years ago, who ever heard of Gonzaga? Outside of the state of Washington and maybe outside of local Spokane. Spokane, and that <laughs> yeah. was about it. Even even now, I mean, they're, it's, a, it's a lower enrollment school, but they are on the map nationally. There's no question. Right. If you said that people have that name recognition, it's top of mind, and that's really important. And as you said, the what, what UMBC was able to do with their Twitter account and social media just underscores how important social media is in 2018 to communicate and connect with your audience. And here the audience includes kids who may be applicants at that school in the next year, two, three years, alumni who want to give corporate sponsorship. I mean, UMBC supposedly just built an $85 million event center. And oh, by the way, put out a tweet saying they don't have a corporate partner for that. Exactly. So now you can go and, and you do it and you drive it. But this is there's this line that used to really separate higher education, amateur sports, business world, professional sports, in a lot of different ways that has gotten blurred over the years. And this is just another example of that line disappearing, is how social media impacts and drives brands, not only in the corporate America, not only in professional athletics, but in higher education. And it's all driven by success of an athletic team, which at times seems to be at odds with a higher education. Right, and right or wrong, I'm not here to judge it. I'm just telling you that's what it is. Yeah. Hands down, that's what it is. <laughs> right. You, you look at it, there's a lot of money. So the, you, you're looking at $700 million plus this year generated by the NCAA over March Madness. Hands down, by far, their largest moneymaker year in and year out. And, you know, $22 million or $220 million roughly will go to the conferences. 110 will stay with the NCAA, obviously at cost that they that they, they pay to put it on. Um, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot at stake. And the units that you mentioned – and we're going to get into these. 132 units are up for grabs this year. And what does that mean in bracketology for people who say each unit is worth this year $1.67 million to be paid out either to a conference or a university over the course of the next six years? Big bucks. No, there's no question about it. We'll get into the breakdown of all that. But 
in terms of what happened with UMBC, and again, you're listening to Straight Cash Homie podcast here on iTunes and SoundCloud. All you got to do, just search Straight Cash Homie, click subscribe, and you are in there. And these are the types of topics we get into. It's not necessarily what's going on between the lines. I like to say it's more about what's going on in the bank, right? That's uh, that's what we're all about. My name is Neil Rule. He is Cam Evans. Happy to have you with us, as always, here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. So, Cam, UMBC right now, a whole new world is open to them. They sold more merchandise in a 24-hour period than they had in the last calendar year. Let me say that again. They sold more merchandise in a 24-hour period than they had over a calendar year after what happened against Virginia. And look, if you're UMBC, you have to be in a position to be able to take advantage of these types of things. And you brought up the social media stuff, and I've talked about the social media stuff as well social media directors, social media coordinators, and I'll qualify it. I'll say I have held that post at Oakland University in the past, so maybe I'm a bit you know, biased about it. But I will say this, Cam, that social media that, that your university handles will be the lifeblood that funds this UMBC program for a long time with many, many dollars. Right, because it helps engage, and it, it's that stickiness. This was a one-time event. But you want that event to be sticky with people so they stay connected in one way or another to the university. You talked about merchandise and apparel, um, and, and that's, that's critical, um, and that's going to continue. People are going to walk around. Now, if you walk around and you're on spring break in Florida and you have a UMBC shirt on. You're cool. People, yeah. people are going to know who you are. And that's right. You, now, now you're cool. Right. And it, it's the alumni. Who, who will be more engaged in the university, maybe willing to open up their checkbooks and, and wallets more than they had in the past. A little more pride being from the university just based on an athletic event. Exactly. It should be a lot more pride. But it is the university being positioned, as you said, to take advantage of lightning in the bottle. It's no different than in the game that if you get an unexpected turnover and you get a fast break, you get a score. Right. And guess what? That fast break's not going to exist in another five seconds. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like what it's like for a small school like UMBC, is that it happened. Now here, you know, we're sitting after the first weekend, and you know, we know, you know, they lost to K State last night, you know, and so their run's over in the tournament, but the run is not over for no. the impact that this will have. And as you say, it's not between the lines; it's the bottom line, and the bottom line will continue to improve at UMBC in countless ways because of 40 minutes of basketball. Cam, is it safe to say that when you look at social media and its impact of, of what's happened, and again, these are this is factual. I mean, the, the proof is out there. That's, what, that's what's sticking around. That's, the social media for UMBC had as much of an impact as what happened on the floor. I mean, granted, you, you, it doesn't happen without what happens on the floor, but I'm talking about in terms of carrying the baton after the game was over, the social media was as important. Probably, yeah, and I will say even not only right after the game, but going forward. Mm-hmm. And again, that building that stickiness with that community out there. It doesn't happen if they don't win. No doubt. But what they were able to do and the person who they tapped, who just connected with people in a way that – it wasn't corporate. It wasn't packaged. It wasn't a scheduled tweet or anything like that. It was real. It was real, and it was real in in a way that resonated with people and wanted them to. They wanted they wanted more. They didn't want less. Because, right. And that's that fine line. 
and I'm not a social media person, but do you understand that the, the branding of it, the marketing of it, that aspect of it, so people want more, not less, when you have this potentially once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at UMBC to be able to go and have the success in the NCAA tournament and then just allow that to springboard into f so many different ways for this university to benefit. And it ultimately, it's going to benefit from a, an education standpoint, you know, and, and, and I like to say quantity and quality of your applicants, which is only good for that institution. Kim, when you look at UMBC now too, especially with, with the social media and the light that this UMB situation has really shined on, on the social media, I, I would even, and again, I'll qualify it and say I work in the industry, so maybe I'm over self-important <laughs> over self-important here a little bit, but the social media people we're coming to find out are as valuable as any administrator is. Uh, yeah, no, without a doubt, because that is your direct connection out there to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. In the marketplace, whether it's potential applicants, current students, um, alumni, uh, people who just want to be fans of the institution, sure. um, it, it, that, that cannot be, um, you know, um, understated and how important that is. Because you, you look at my own experience is so, um, you know, Saturday – I, it wasn't like I was continuing to watch the two-minute highlights that are available on my cable subscription at home of that game. Didn't watch any highlights of that game on Saturday. Did I foul countless threads as to what was happening and coming out of UMBC's Twitter account? Absolutely. Absolutely, because it was entertaining. It was fun. I wanted to learn more about the institution of UMBC just out of, from a curiosity standpoint. So, and, and, and I'm be no different than, you know, a lot of other people across the country. Joe Fan in Montana. It's, exactly. It's along the same lines. And, but then you, think of, then you think of the other people in Maryland, Virginia, D.C. that are, you know, connected right there. Very Delaware, populated area. Yep. Very populated that says, gee, I may not have known very much about this institution. I want to know more. And that is always, not always, typically a good thing. <laughs> when, 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 when more is known about an institution. 99% of the time anyway, and guess what? They're not going there because of a chemistry experiment. They're just not. So, I mean, that's, that, that is the way it is. And, and again, I'll, I'll bring you personal experience. Uh, I'm the broadcaster for Oakland University. I went to school at Oakland University. And I went to Oakland because I went to the 2005 NCAA tournament. No other reason. Now, does that make me a, a bad student? I don't know. Perhaps. I don't know. But... I got a degree from there, and I went there solely because they went to the NCAA tournament. And my choice was between Oakland and Eastern Michigan because I was geographically limited into where I could go to school at. So Oakland, Eastern Michigan, here, here in, in the greater Detroit area. Eastern Michigan, not good at athletics. Oakland coming off, going to the NCAA tournament. I wanted to be in sports media. It's always easier to cover a winner, right? I know easier certainly is a lot more fun. Yeah, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> Decision was made. I mean, and, and I'm walking. I'm a walking testament to that. All, all these, all these dollars and all these cents we're talking about the UMBC and all the, the increased applications and the enrollment, all the students that will be there. There is, there's no doubt uh, the the gigantic impact it's going to make. You're listening to the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Neil Rule, Cam Evans, with you. Of course, I'm a local sports broadcaster here in the Detroit area. Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group and of Pivotal Sports Management here with you as always. Just subscribe to it on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Just search Straight Cash. 
homie. And uh, again, happy to have you with us. So Cam, let's let's fast forward now to what this does. And this is more of a consistent type theory with what happens in regard to, to the conferences and the conference breakdown. We've been talking about units. And the the common sports fan would say, you know, what do you, what do you mean units? Well, units is another word they use for money because when people don't want you to know how, uh, how much money is going around, going in, coming out, those types of things, they don't call it money. They call it revenue or they call it units. But make no mistake, this is cash we're talking about here. And that's what everybody's playing for. I know that's not what they say when they go on the air or anything like that. This is what they're playing for. They're playing for cash. You get a unit for making the NCAA tournament. $1.6 million, payable over six years, typically to your conference, split up among your conference. As these sexy storylines come out about UMBC and Butler and Loyola Chicago, with my good friend Drew Valentine on, on the coaching staff at Loyola Chicago, these mid-majors are the story, and they're what drive the NCAA tournament. And, and you and I were talking in our pre-production meeting, and you said, yeah, if it, if it were 24 teams and it were all Power Fives, it'd do well. And Kentucky fans would tune in, and Duke fans would tune in, and college basketball fans would tune in, and they would, and it would do well. But what gives it that panache is the mid-major storylines, the UMBCs, the Loyola Chicago's, the Nevada's. Do you anticipate any kind of fallout in the construction of the NCAA tournament field because Loyola Chicago, who won the Missouri Valley in the regular season and the tournament, the 29-5, and I think, somewhere along the lines their record was, they weren't going to be in. Syracuse was the last team in, who, by the way, played in the play-in game and is now going to the Sweet 16 and has made $4.9 million for the ACC. (laughs) So you're, you're chuckling right now. But I think, and going off the board on you, Cam, this play-in game business... I think there was a little more than meets the eye when this was created because you, you tend to see these Power Fives. This is an extra way to get a Power Five in that might not necessarily have gotten in before. And if not for the playing game, Syracuse wouldn't be there and the ACC wouldn't have $4.9 million. Well, no, I mean, they've been the playing games for, for the 11 seeds. Mm-hmm. Now you are – those are always – you're going to have the two matchups of the low 16s, right? That's a given. But now you're going to bring in an, two extra Power Five conference teams who are going to come and vie for the 11th seed. All right, so there's two additional payments this year of $1.67 million. Um, over six years, this year is about 260000 So there's two additional payments going to a Power 5. And then if you, if you strike lightning in a bottle and you like Syracuse, if Syracuse runs to the finals this year, they will be the rare school that picks up six units, $10 million for their conference. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, the playing games, the NCAA, you know, they're no fools. They're no dummy when it comes to how to make money. And, and, revenue. And, 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 and make, make <laughs> revenue. That's right. Have revenue. <laughs> Units. And, and, and that's, that's the way to do it. But you look at it and what, what drives part of their ability to go and sell is that you have 32 games in the first round followed by 16 so you're basically 12 noon to midnight thursday friday and now saturday and sunday the way they have this all spaced out and it is right it is the small schools and the mid-majors that drive people's attention and if you had a year where every one seed through eight seed won every game they were supposed to in the first two rounds how many people would walk away disappointed and disengaged it's your ability to really sell that first week 
on the fact that there's going to be upsets. That drives ratings. That drives your ability to go out and sell your media rights and drives your what is this worth to go to TBS and TNT and CBS and how much can we go and generate off of this? And if you don't have the smaller schools out there in the mid-majors, um, this, this isn't the darling of the nation that it is that encompasses everybody in this country. It's like the Super Bowl, except it's over three weeks, and there's a lot more betting on it. Yeah, absolutely, and there's multiple Super Bowls to be played. Right. Really, that's what it is. No, yeah, for, I mean, for, the, for, for a lot, you know, a lot of the smaller schools, every game's a Super Bowl. Right. You know, but, and this is a chance to be on national TV and a chance to go and leave your mark on history. And, and Cam, when you look at it, too, with this unit breakdown that happens, if, if you go throughout the books and you bust open – some of these schools' finances, and more importantly, the, the conference and the league finances. And, and you look at total revenue versus, they call it the basketball fund. That, that's where they kick in all these all these set of quote-unquote units into all this money. They, they throw all this money into a fund. That's, that's what they do with it. So it's interesting to me, Cam, once you break it down, when we talk about the rich getting richer, and that's, and that's typically... What happens with the ACC with Syracuse making $5 million? The ACC got in nine teams this year. Duke's looking very strong. Um, they're going to go a long way. Syracuse has already gone a long way. It's dollar on top of dollar on top of dollar. Nine for the ACC, eight for the SEC, seven for the Big 12. I mean, you, you're, you're noticing a prevailing theme here, that, that a lot of these berths go to middle-of-the-road Power 5 teams versus – uh, just as a for instance, Loyola, who more than proved that they belong in this field, who they they won at Florida during the season, which that win at Florida to me, being around the game of college basketball, far more impressive than even say their win over Tennessee in the tournament. Because when you go on the road early season, you're facing different odds than you are in the NCAA tournament. Let's just say it like that, okay? And I think anyone who knows anything about college basketball knows exactly what I'm talking about. But this money so pivotal to the mid-major conference. It's, it's, I'm not going to call it a drop in a bucket for, for the ACC, just the basic money. I, but to them, it's a drop in the bucket compared to a, a smaller league where you look like, you know, you, you just go across the board, you look at, say, the Patriot League, where this NCAA tournament money is 65% of their revenue comes from this basketball fund. The Horizon League, 60% of their revenue comes from this basketball fund. This is the lifeblood of many of these mid-major conferences. And you go down the board, even the Missouri Valley, 36% of their revenue comes from them. They're, they're wholly dependent, Cam. They are solely dependent on what happens in this NCAA tournament. Without, a, I mean, this is, this is the moneymaker for them. And it, it has such a disproportional impact on their overall financial health compared to the Power Five. I mean, the Big Ten, the Big Ten make, makes far more money off the Big Ten network than it does if they have a good year in the NCAA. I mean, this year they have four teams. They got six wins uh, to date. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, all right, you got, you know, six, six wins. You're not looking too bad. You're looking at, you know, nine million so far for the, for the conference. That is a drop in the bucket. For them, the, right. But this is why it is so, so important for smaller schools, mid-major schools, to go and be able to find the backing 
that's going to come and say we are going to go and we're going to support in particular men's college basketball because if you can have success at that level it has a lasting impact in a very positive way to the overall health and viability of that institution butler's not the same and will never be the same because of the run that it made in the 2010 and then 2011 NCAA tournament. We talked about, you know, Gonzaga. We talked about Georgetown. Who ever heard of Georgetown outside of the East? And I mean, you think about, again, Midwest, Pacific Coast. You know, I remember growing up in Georgetown. I'm like, what's Georgetown? Where's Georgetown? You know, everything else. And you're like, wow, this is a really good academic school. But the only thing I knew about it is they had a great basketball program. And so you look at that and how you put yourself on the map. And have people that want to, you know, be driven and attracted and learn more about your institution, be more connected to it. Um, and, and in a way, you kind of scratch your head because, as you said, as a part of the lifeblood here and what's the intrigue and the interest is the upsets that happen. All right. And it's not the upsets where you just have a lower seed upsetting a higher seed. It is when the lower seed is the underdog. In the truest sense of the world. Right. You know, this weekend you had Syracuse beating Michigan State on 11 over 3. Wow, that's great. Well, no, not really. It's Syracuse over Michigan State. Okay, now you got, you know, Nevada over Texas. Upset? Nah, maybe, maybe not. You know, they were you, down 14 in the, in the second half, though. It was a great basketball game. The back and forth went to overtime. They're down by 22 to Cincinnati. Yeah. I think Nevada just starts the next game. You just spot the other team 25 <laughs> and let's go. Yeah, and see what happens. Yeah, you remember? And it's like being on the blacktop again out in the, yeah. <laughs> on the driveway. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's those underdogs um, that, that, will, that will be talked about in the, and remembered for a long time. And it is the fact that you have. You know, a, a UMBC who does the most incredible upset of all. That will be talked about 10, 20, 30 years ago. There will be people who are growing up right now who are kids that 20, 30 years from now who will be parents and they will have their kids watching this damn tournament. Right. <laughs> sucked it. I remember yeah. March of 2018. It was, you know, March 16th and this is what happened. I was watching it on TV. I had the remote control in my hand. Yeah. And it, the kids are going to be like, what's a remote control? I had to drive my own car to places. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's going to be where, one of those things. Where were you? I remember. I mean, I remember the Doug Flutie pass. Where were you in these certain events? And this is what's going to be. And this is what's going to get, you know, UMBC. This is what's going to get the ad alumni base excited, you know, and willing to come out and support and continue to support and fund it. But that's why you, you look at it and you just you have these these institutions that want to go find that benefactor to be able to say we are going to establish a Division One high-profile mid-major basketball program. And a lot of times, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? You usually got to have success first, not necessarily, but you got to have some modicum of success. Right. But then it is the financial backing that it takes in this day and age to be able to go out and attract the type of players that are required to have continued success. You're listening to Straight Cash Homie podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search Straight Cash Homie, click subscribe, 
and you are in there right now, if you're clicking off a social media link or whatever, just go ahead and click subscribe. Then you don't have to look anymore. It comes automatically to your phone. He is Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group and Pivotal Sports Management. Of course, Evans Law Group, a very valuable sponsor of the show. My name is Neil Rule, broadcaster here in the Detroit area. And Cam, you brought up a good point, too. And we're talking about mid-majors and, and the impact of the units and really what's at stake here. Yes, banners are nice and everything, but they are playing for money. Make no mistake. Not revenue, not units. They're, they're playing for cash. They're playing for money. And you brought up a great point when you said if you're Loyola or if you're Nevada or if you're, you're UMBC or, or insert your mid-major here and you go on a run and you win these games, George Mason went from the play-in game to the Final Four, put their conference on the map. Um, the biggest thing, though, Cam, that you brought up that was interesting to me, if you're Loyola, Nevada, et cetera, Yes, you're, you're winning these games, and yes, you're, you're making this money, and you're making this money for your conference, but more importantly, you're taking it away from another conference. And make no mistake, that's big, especially on the mid-major level. If you're doing it for your conference, that means somebody else is not doing it for theirs. Exactly. So you look at you know, Texas, Nevada, you know, great example. Big 12, yes, Texas wins. Okay, so they put another $1.67 million. They get an additional unit for getting to round two. What's $1.67 million over six years of the Big 12? Nothing. Not, it's like, literally, literally yeah, nothing. It's like spitting the tobacco out of your mouth. It's not worth anything. 9.5% of their revenue comes from the basketball fund in the Big 12. 9.5% compared to the Horizon League that's over 60. Yeah, now Nevada, now you look there in Mountain West. 67%, the largest. They they have the largest delineation of their revenue from the basketball. All part. right, and so now they now now when they beat Texas, as he said, it, it, you have you you you've have prevented or you you failed to prevent a small conference from getting an additional one point six seven million dollars. So by winning that first game, they're up to three point two million now for their conference. Over the next six years, in a conference that you're at 65, 66% of their revenue is solely dependent on the basketball fund and the NCAA March Badness Tournament. And so that can have a big fact. So it's, it's, as I said, sometimes it's not what you put in your pocket, it's what somebody else doesn't put in theirs. <laughs> sure. And, 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 and it, you know, that, that has a huge impact. Now, if they sit and they pull another one, you know, so Nevada, they go to the Elite Eight, which is a certain. It's a possibility. Well, them or Loyola is going to get it because they're playing each other. Loyola, exactly. Chicago, and Nevada are playing each other. And you like to think now that these guys are going to swim in the same waters for talent. I mean, granted, one in Nevada is on the other side of the country versus Loyola in downtown Chicago. But, again, make no mistake that their paths will cross for some recruit somewhere down the road. It will. And, and this may be the difference. And also, Cam, this could be the difference in funds to where they could a Loyola could go across the country to try to recruit, and vice versa. Right, plus plus what else it does from a Title IX perspective for the women's sports in, in, in these conferences. But, yeah, now, so the people who have, and I don't think it would be very many in the world, that would have Nevada and Loyola sitting in the uh, Sweet 16 facing each other, they have an interest in their bracket. A lot of people are going to have an interest in that game because it's a great game to sit and watch. Who's going to get to the Elite Eight? Kind of like when Gonzaga made their Elite Eight run for the first time. It's like, you know, what is happening and who are these people? And, and what, But if you're looking at it from the school standpoint, it is the immediate impact of, okay, we're going to put an additional 1.67, another unit in our pocket, 
over the next six years, which is huge. And you now have a continuation of being in the spotlight and allowing your branding, your social media, everything else out there to go and enhance your institution and to be able to play for a chance to be in the Final Four. And it'll be looked back. I mean, it took forever for Gonzaga to get to the actual Final Four, but everybody remembered that run they had to get to the Elite Eight. Um, and they almost beat Connecticut in the Elite Eight right. that year. That was a great, great quarterfinal game and what that has done. But there was an institution that has been dedicated to spending money. You look at the international recruits they've gotten over the years and everything sure. else. They've spent money. You know what, you know what else it. they've done, Cam? And, and I've been out there. We, we played out there a couple of years ago. You know what else they've done? They've taken all this money that they've made and they built a soccer stadium and they've built a softball stadium. And, and they've taken all this money that they've been bringing in and they've used it to upgrade facilities across the board for them i mean they, they've done they've done it the right way out there there's no question right and it's one of those things you you look at it and again there's usually tension between the academics and athletics within a, a institution of higher learning but done in the right way athletics can help drive the ultimate success of the academics from that from that standpoint either from the standpoint of alumni wanting to give not only to the athletic department just give back to their school, their department, the university as a whole. Uh, if all of a sudden your SAT scores, and there's, there's a Harvard business professor who did a study in 2015, that you know when you have this type of success, and he was focused on the football field, you, know, you had a, almost a 6% increase in the scores on SAT applicants. All right. right. Now these, these are smart different... kids. These are smart kids you're talking about. Not like me who said, <laughs> right. oh, this team went to the NCAA tournament. I'm going to go to school there. Right. These are smart kids that are going there. <laughs> and so <laughs> that, and, right, and that enhances. And it's like, okay, what are, they, what are these people going to be doing 10 to 20 years down the road as your alumna? And, and, and you look at it, and what are they going to be able to bring back? And, and you, don't, you don't do this without having you know, the upsets that put you on the map. Cam, one final thing I wanted to get into here, and we're, of course we're talking NCA tournament here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. He is Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group and Pivotal Sports Management. My name is Neil Rule, sports broadcaster here in the Detroit area. Uh, we don't talk about what goes on between the lines. We talk about the bottom line here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. Cam, this brings up an interesting dilemma for the NCAA. And let's make no mistake about this. Loyola Chicago, who's in the Sweet 16, that has – done the job on the court, both in non-conference with a win at Florida, beating Tennessee in the tournament. They've done the job. You, you can't question Loyola's resume and what they've done. If they would have slipped in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, they wouldn't be in right now. Syracuse was the last team in. That's what they've said. Syracuse would have gotten in over, over Loyola Chicago. This brings up the dilemma for the NCAA in that where do you go because – your mid-majors are your selling points. But you got to keep the coffers happy. you got to keep your high, er your high earners happy. It's a fine line for the NCAA to walk. Storylines versus your proven earners, I guess, to go old school on you. No, you're right. And, and it's, you know, from my perspective, it's clear where the NCAA is heading to this with the introduction of the quadrant system this year, um, is that that is geared to keeping mid-majors and small conferences to one bid leagues period end of story whoever wins your conference tournament that's who's going to go and they will want to get more and more of the power five schools in 
with you know i think a realistic thought that the weaker power fives that get in um you know are they going to be a sixth seventh seed you know you get that maybe fifth seed you know you get that 512 um you know maybe a 134 you get you you will get one of those upsets most likely every year in the tournament uh, historically how it has been and that's that's what the storyline will be and will drive it this year has been been crazy in in what has happened and look at the south first time ever that you've had the top 4 seeds go out in the first weekend um, and so this year, I think, you know, you, you've ex- just had one of those odd years where you had it at a, at a rate that nobody, partic- you know, nobody thought about. But, no, it's clear the NCAA, th- they know where their bread is buttered, and it's with the Power Fives, and they're going to stay that way. The quadrant system, uh, I don't care what they say, is designed in part to reward um, the wins as opposed to the losses. The wins that you have an opportunity to get versus – the wins that mid-major schools don't get an opportunity to get. Great. Who 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 is going That's to go? Factual. Who is going to go and say yes? Come in. We are going to schedule you a high-quality mid-major in a non-conference setting. They're almost impossible to get, and um, and when you do, you're playing at a Power Five's home home court where the uh, first discussion is. We control the officials. Uh, exactly, and, it's in and, the contract that way. That's right, and 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 it it is it is designed to be. It's not a level playing field, and it's tilted against the mid majors, and that's why they're true underdogs. That's why when they win, people are excited about it because it is an underdog. It is an upset, as opposed to it is a situation where you have Syracuse beating Michigan State, and they may not have been, you know, viewed as the same type of quality you know teams this year but this is this is all going to be geared to making money and making money for the the power fives of the but sprinkle in some upsets that are going to happen every year that drives this drives that intention all the focus the first week of the tournament and that is such a critical component um of their success because it is again if it was 24 power five schools it do well Sure. It wouldn't generate the emotion, the enthusiasm that takes place during the opening week of March Madness. Cam, you brought the thunder. You brought the heat, as always, as I know you would. And make sure you follow Cam on Twitter at Cameron underscore J underscore Evans. You can also follow me on Twitter as well, at Neil Rule. That's N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L. And we got the Twitter fired up now for the show, at Straight Cash Pod. So you can do that as well. And, again, you can subscribe to it. You can follow the Twitter accounts. The links will be tweeted out, all that. Click on them, listen to the show. Certainly do appreciate everybody listening to the Straight Cash Homie podcast as well. 40 minutes in the books, man. It doesn't even feel like it ever, does it? It doesn't. And just think about it, that all it took for UMBC to get on the map was 40 minutes. So you get the opportunity, make the most of it. Absolutely. You made the most of it, Cam. Appreciate your time as always. And, again, a big thank you to everybody for listening to this Straight Cash Homie podcast. We don't talk about what goes on between the lines. We talk about the bottom line. Thanks for listening. Well, see you later.